Welcome back to our weekly podcast. If you have a Bible with you today, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 8 and Ephesians chapter 6. While you're turning to those two places, I'll tell you about a common scenario that happens in the chapel house. Two of the kids are playing outside on the trampoline, and the other two are playing indoors. I'm sitting on the couch in our upstairs living room, answering emails on my iPad or just resting from work. My wife is working hard in the kitchen, preparing dinner for the family. You better believe that I married a woman who knows how to cook. As she wraps up dinner, she asks me to round up the boys. Seeing one of my sons in passing, I recruit him as the messenger who's in charge of telling everyone else that it's time for dinner. As he makes the rounds, the response is pretty much the same. His siblings choose not to listen, and they continue doing whatever it is they're doing. When he comes back to report the news, he's upset because no one listened when he told them that it was time to eat. You'd think they would have run as fast as they could because they're growing boys and they're always hungry. When I ask him what he said, this is the typical response. I told brothers that it was time for dinner, but they just didn't listen. There's usually a look of sadness, anger, and disapproval on the messenger's face. For the second time around, I tell him to change up his request. I say, tell brothers that dad says it's time for dinner. You know, those two little words, dad says, it changes everything. My son didn't have the authority to order his siblings to the dinner table on his own. But on his second missionary journey, he was sent as an agent of his father. When his brothers hear those two little words, dad says, they come running to the dinner table. It works every time. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in week two of a message series called Thriving in the Mess. This is a four-week series on the topic of parenting. If you look at your bulletin this week, you'll notice that I've entitled today's message, Who's Really in Charge? Friends, it's no secret that our culture is confused about authority. We don't like authority. We don't like being under authority, and most people don't like being in authority. Even the mention of the word is uncomfortable at times. Our culture certainly doesn't teach or promote a biblical worldview of authority. I'm curious what comes to mind when you hear that word, authority. Most people view authority as something negative, like an overwhelming force from one person to another. Others believe there should always be consent when exercising authority. Our culture promotes the false idea that no intelligent, free-thinking person should ever be under authority. But the Bible tells a different story. Psalm 119, verses 44 and 45 says, I will keep on obeying your instructions forever and ever. I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. David is believed to have been the author of Psalm 119. This is the longest psalm in the Bible. He used this as an alphabetical song. He taught his son Solomon the alphabet, but also what it looks like, what it means to follow God with your life, to live for God. Psalm 119 says that there's freedom in submitting to authority. First and foremost, God's authority. When we go through life operating from a secular worldview as it relates to authority, Instead of a biblical worldview, we're left to improvise in response to the loudest voices that we hear. We end up demanding obedience from our children because we feel pressured by others, not because that's what God calls us to do. 
Or we leave our children to their own devices because, you know, that's what the cool parents do. Today, I want to use the time that we have to talk about a biblical worldview on the topic of authority, specifically parental authority within the home. The first thing that I want to share is that authority is God's plan. God has structured the universe and the world that he has created with a particular order in mind. There's an intentional design to God's plan for how his creation relates to him and how we relate to one another. We can think of his design in terms of vertical relationships, that's how we relate to God, and horizontal relationships, how we relate to one another. In God's order of creation, there's a hierarchy of authority. Now, I think Psalm chapter 8 is one of the best places to go to learn about God's hierarchy of authority. The first thing that we learn about is how God is in authority and has authority over all things. So authority begins and ends with God. Psalm chapter 8, verses 1 and 4 says this, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? God's relationship to his creation, to humanity and other created things, is vertical. So our place is under God, under his authority, but also under his care and his provision. We're created by God and for God. We're called by God, molded by God, and sent by God. God is in authority and has authority over all things. Next, in God's hierarchy of authority, are a whole category of heavenly creatures, the angels, who are always in God's presence, praising and worshiping him for who he is. Psalm chapter 8, verse 5 says, You have made them, talking about human beings, a little lower than the angels, and crowned them with glory and honor. In God's hierarchy of authority, we are under these heavenly creatures. Now, even though we were created lower than them, the Bible still refers to human beings as God's most prized creation. And we're called his masterpiece. Of all God's creation, humans are the only beings created in the image of God. In fact, there's a whole range of qualities and characteristics that we share with God, but not with animals or other created things. We are unique in this way. Yet we were created a little lower than the angels. Which begs the question, what are angels? I'm curious what comes to mind when you hear that word, angel. According to scripture, angels are messengers who were created to serve God and care for his people. Psalm chapter 91, verses 11 and 12 says, For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Matthew chapter 18, verse 10 says, Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. So the context here, Jesus is talking to children. He's talking about having a childlike faith. He says, For I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of of my heavenly father. So we know that angels were created to serve God and to care for his people. That human beings were created a little lower than the angels. Next in God's hierarchy of authority are human beings. And God's word tells us that we were created in the image of God and for the glory of God. We've also been put in charge as caretakers over God's creation here on earth. 
I think it's interesting how everyone in everything that's in a position of authority is meant to exercise that authority with care. Psalm chapter 8, verses 6 through 8 says, You made them, talking about human beings, rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. So there's a clear call for those in authority to care for, provide for, and protect those under their authority. And God is our perfect example for this. He perfectly loves us, cares for us, and provides for us. So in summary, here's God's hierarchy of authority. It starts with God, who's always been and who always will be. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. We learn that God has created heavenly creatures like the angels to serve him and to care for his people. Yet we were created a little lower than the angels. Human beings were created with equal value in the image of God and for the glory of God. We've also been put in charge as caretakers over God's creation here on earth. And then finally, there's all other created things, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all of which bring glory to God. Our relationship to God is a vertical relationship. God is a deeply personal God who's intimately involved in our lives, but our relationship to him is vertical. He's in authority and has authority over all things. Even though all people are created with equal value in the image of God, God has set up horizontal authority in how we relate to one another. God has placed people in authority and under authority in the workplace. We all know this to be true. Uh, In the church, there's spiritual authority. Uh, In the state or the government and in the home. Those who are in authority are meant to exercise their God-given authority by God's design, following his example. For the last half of today's message, I'd like to talk about authority within the home or parental authority. Because our culture is so confused about God's design for the family, chapters like Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6, which highlight this design, have somehow become controversial even within the church. These chapters talk about how husbands are called to lovingly lead like Christ. Husbands are the spiritual leaders in their home, laying down their lives for their wives. These chapters talk about how wives are called to receive and follow the leadership of their husbands as they follow the leadership of the Lord. And children are called to honor and obey their parents. That's what we're going to talk about today. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. That's our second primary text for today. It says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now remember, Ephesians can be broken down really into two parts. Chapters 1 through 3 talks about our identity in Christ, who we are as followers of Jesus. And then chapters 4 through 6 talk about now that we're followers of Jesus, how are we called to live? So these chapters talk about what are we called to do? And that's where this passage falls. Talks about children obeying your parents in the Lord. This is right. We're to honor our father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise. And that promise is that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. These verses follow a long section of scripture that talks about God's design for the family. 
what a God-honoring marriage between a husband and wife looks like and what God-given authority and care should look like within the home. Instead of honor and obedience from children to parents, we live in a time when children are the ones giving the orders. Parents, in turn, complain because their kids act out all the time, and it would seem like there's no foundation for authority to parent from. Biblical truths about parental authority and responsibility have been replaced with negotiation and compromise. But when we go to God's word, we're reminded about how these authority structures first and foremost come from God. Parental authority is an extension of God's authority. And when God-given authority is rightly exercised within the home, obedience to parents ceases to be a random requirement. What we find is that obedience within the home ultimately gives children the opportunity to be part of God's order of creation and is an act of trust in God. We have two main points for today. The first one, if you're taking notes, is that teaching your children to obey your authority prepares them to obey God's authority. Ephesians 6 teaches us that God has set up an order of authority within the home, and this order comes with a promised blessing for those who follow it. Ephesians 6 addresses Christian families. It's important to keep that in mind. That's the audience. It teaches us that obedience from children to parents is right. It also teaches us that obedience from children to parents is a command from God. And finally, it teaches us that obedience from children to parents brings blessing. Teaching your children to obey your God-given authority over them will establish within them a foundation for obeying God's authority. God has given parents the assignment of raising their children according to his word. So there's no need to cautiously navigate the issue of authority. Regardless of what culture teaches, the millions of false truth claims, God's word is the ultimate authority in our lives. And God's word reminds parents that if they neglect his design for authority within the home, they end up allowing their children to disobey God's instruction. One thing that we know for certain is, without exception, God never blesses obedience. If we as parents forfeit our God-given authority by allowing our children to independently make all of their own choices when they're not capable of doing so in the first place, we'll inadvertently teach them they're free to do whatever they want, and that obedience to God and others is not important. Without careful direction from mom and dad, children end up developing what I call a self-governing attitude, believing they answer to no one. In their book, Instructing a Child's Heart, Ted and Margie Tripp address the impact that a self-governing attitude can have on a child. And this is what they say. By the age that they are ready for school, Most children see themselves as autonomous decision makers. Parents give away their authority in thousands of different transactions. The child is not learning that God, who is good, has given him parents whom he is to obey. And it is a blessing to live under God's authority. He is rather being taught to reject any authority other than himself. Freedom is not being able to do whatever you want. Freedom is knowing and loving God and living joyfully under the authority structures that he has ordained. Friends, living in the United States and being raised in the current cultural climate that we're a part of, I'm afraid far too many children are developing a distorted view of freedom. We like to talk about our rights, but we don't like to talk about our responsibility. 
I often tell people that my wife and I's number one goal in parenting is to raise our children up so that we can send them out. That's the goal. We want our boys to mature into young men who will eventually be independent from our authority, but never independent from God's authority. And as we teach our children to obey our authority within the home, we're molding them with God's help into young men and women who learn to ultimately obey God's authority. And when this is done right, it's always done with love and care, as all authority should be. So how can we teach our children to obey our authority? How can we prepare them to obey God's authority at the same time? That's going to lead us to the second point for today. Think of your home as a laboratory for learning. Let me say that again. Think of your home as a laboratory for learning. God wants our homes to be the training ground for life. Think of your home as a laboratory where you practice the biblical truths that you're in turn teaching to your children. So what does this look like on a day-to-day basis? We all know that life gets really busy, so it's important to plan ahead. I want to encourage you today to set aside time each day for when you can step away from the busyness of life so that you can focus on teaching your children about topics like authority. For us, for our family, this happens best during our family devotional time just before bed. When this kind of instruction is deliberate and ongoing, it just becomes a natural part of your family's rhythm. It's easy to only address the topic of authority and obedience when you're reacting to your child's wrong behavior. In fact, I think that's when most of us do this most of the time. But if this is the only time when this kind of instruction comes out, it's going to be met with resistance every time. Instead of talking about authority and obedience when tempers flare, choose to address it during times when your children will be more receptive. It's important to remember that our children are not a distraction from other things that are happening in life. Things like work, housework, rest, your hobbies, you know, the list goes on. They should be our focus. Our children and families are our ministry. I'll just admit something to you today. As a pastor, I don't always get this right. I'm often so busy ministering to other people that I forget or even neglect my primary ministry, which is my own family. You may need to pray about this and ask God to help you keep your priorities straight throughout the day. Our kids are not a distraction from other things. They are our ministry. Another way that your home can be a laboratory for learning is by practicing exercising your authority without losing your temper. The best place to nurture the character quality of self-control is in the privacy of your own home. If you only correct your children when you're out in public and you're doing it in response to the pressure of other people when you're angry and upset, you're likely going to be exercising your authority from the wrong place. This kind of situation only makes everyone uncomfortable in all the wrong ways, the onlookers, the parents, and the children. One of the best places to practice exercising your authority is in the home. The home is where order and structure should come from. And the importance of parental authority and obedience should be taught and nurtured within the home first. So whatever your child's age, it's important to establish a pattern of taking time to communicate clearly and calmly what behaviors are acceptable and what behaviors are not acceptable and why. The reason your home is a laboratory for learning is because there's a lot of trial and error that comes with being a parent. Growing in your God-given role takes time. Remember from last week's message, there weren't too many hands that went up when I asked the question, who has this parenting thing all figured out? It was really only the wisest among us who have parenting figured out. 
There's been a lot of trial and error in our home. That's for sure. There have been many conversations between my wife and I about how we can be the parents that God has called us to be. There's been a lot of time reading God's word, both individually and together. And I've come to learn that following Jesus starts in the home. And that includes exercising the authority that God has given you as a parent. Effective parental authority within the home can only happen when we first submit our lives to God's authority. And that's the main thing. If we're going to be successful in raising our children up so that we can send them out as kingdom workers, we have to be intentional about laying aside potential distractions that might otherwise keep us from connecting with our children and helping them build a foundation of faith in their own lives. When we're intentional about teaching our children about the importance of authority, friends, we give them an amazing gift. Not only will other people be drawn to their well-mannered, obedient behavior, but more importantly, we cultivate within them a heart that willfully submits to God's authority. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. 